Hey, it's Tyrone here and we've got a great episode for you from the archives with Harry Charlombos. This episode was first aired back in 2017, so enjoy it. By the age of 19, I was running my own electrical business um, and I had that business till I was 35 and um, that gave me a really good grounding on property and on renovating and actually how that works and I did a lot of investing um, during those years, investing and renovating and selling. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors, find out more about their stories, mindset and strategy. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Director of Plan Assist, Harry Charalumbus, who's built an impressive property portfolio worth over $20 million. You'll learn how he used his inherited knowledge to create an electrical business that ultimately led him into smarter ways to manufacture equity in his property portfolio. So, what does a hectic day in Charalumbus's life look like? My day is split between looking at, uh, so we certainly have clients that we're searching for properties for, so I will oversee that. So, I'll check in with our team here that is looking for uh, properties for our clients and ourselves. And, and just to take a step back on that, we certainly um, started initially because of doing our own investing and developing. And then it just grew into clients wanting us to assist them with theirs. And so my day, as you asked, is split up between looking for properties for our clients and checking in with our team on that, as well as uh, our property managers. So to check on our approvals that we have running uh, and we'll be getting approvals for anything from extensions, renovations, granny flats, townhouses, uh, and up to you know, blocks of home units. Uh, for our clients and and then also checking in with the finance team on any um, finance for purchases as well as uh, construction loans. We have a real focus because of what we're doing. We have a, a, a real focus and a real expertise in the construction loan area. Mm, your day sounds pretty full-packed, uh, a lot of managing as well and a lot of, I guess, uh, following up with things, making sure that things run smoothly, especially in a, in a business like yours, there's a lot that's involved, isn't there? Yeah, look, it is. It is, And I try and certainly try and get a balance. Uh, and we've got to have a, a situation where I certainly have quiet time and blocked out time where I'm you know, not answering any, any messages or taking any calls and that sort of thing because you need time to focus and focus on the next transaction that we want to do as well. Um, so you, you certainly have to have that space. Uh, otherwise, I find you get too caught up in the doing and not enough in the uh, creating and the planning, which is equally as important as the doing of the current transactions you have going. As the director of his business, Charles Lumber says that there are smart ways to manufacture equity in your property portfolio, which is what his clients take away from his services. I am one of the directors of Planus's property team. Um, and we currently run a business which is geared for helping property investors to uh, purchase properties as well as develop those with a real focus on manufacturing equity in your investments. I think um, particularly for uh, your Sydney listeners, they've had a pretty good run over the last few years uh, and obviously the different parts of 
uh, Australia have, have done reasonably well, uh, all at different stages in the property cycle. However, what we do find is that by manufacturing some equity, it just takes you away from the reliance on growth and we use growth as a bonus. Um, and we certainly want to be buying in areas and buying at the right time uh, in the property cycle. However, if we can use that and couple it with um, some manufactured equity strategies um, can really spur on the the portfolio and spur on the investment to you know, much greater greater heights and much faster. He describes himself as both aggressive and conservative when it comes to practicing strategies for property investing, both for clients and himself. I believe I'm, <laughs> I have some aggressive strategies that we implement conservatively. So if that makes sense. So we're, um, our strategies are quite uh, a little bit creative, a little bit outside the box. Um, however, at the same time, we need to look at those quite conservatively to make sure that we've, you know, we've dotted the I's and crossed the T's uh, before going into the transactions. Growing up in Sydney, Charles Lumbus has fond memories of his parents running a fish and chip shop. Initially, um, the early years were in the inner west of Sydney, uh, so sort of anywhere between the, we had a couple of different places that we were living and, and schooling, uh, so started off in the Ashfield and Concord area. Um, so at the time, so we're talking now in the 60s and 70s um, and probably into the 80s for that matter, uh, they were probably 60s and 70s living in those areas. Um, they're fairly, fairly, you know, middle class, I suppose you'd want to call them. Uh, but we were, you know, a typical uh, migrant background um, with uh, my parents having, at that point in time, uh, fish shops that they were running. So the fish and chip shops that are probably typical for the migrants of that era. Um, and, you know, I was growing up and that's what I knew and just watching what they were doing. Um, is is where we grew up and we moved in it was in the late 70s we moved to Taramara also in Sydney uh, but a very different feel um, you know much bigger blocks of land much leafier uh, aspect and outlook uh, and, a, and a different different feel different demographic totally The state of Ashfield Concord and Taramara has altered much since then with aspects such as the style of housing and the property values The Ashfield Concord area has probably gone from being in those years more of more of a, a lower to middle class um, to it is so gentrified now and it is the the land values and the property values now have immensely changed and they're in in much greater demand um, and probably a lot more favorable than they were in those years uh, so it's it's changed immensely and certainly um, the style of housing in those areas have changed again typically in those years we had some you know lots of your bungalows and your, your post-war bungalows um, that were probably typical again for that area but a lot of those now it's much higher density um, we've had with zoning changes and you know governments wanting to create more housing um, much much higher densities in in those areas um, of of the inner west of Sydney. As we move to Taramara, which is more on the north shore of Sydney, um, the blocks were bigger in those days and still are bigger today. 
uh, the council in that area, which is Karingai Council, is probably more stringent on maintaining um, the feel, the vibe and feel of the place. There's still much bigger blocks uh, in that location. The feel is more family, probably more family to mm, mid mid to late um, teens that would be in the families uh, because of the schooling in the area. Lots of very good private schools throughout the uh, North Shore of Sydney and it tends to attract um, and lots of good public schools too throughout the North Shore, so really good schools generally and it tends to attract families to that area um, predominantly for the schooling. With his parents' knowledge as business owners, he applied that knowledge in creating his own electrical business and developing his understanding of property investing. I I only ever knew of my parents having their own business. Um, So to me, that was a natural progression. Um, It was just what they did and what I did. Uh, When I left school and I left school at the age of 15, I went on to do an electrical apprenticeship and then by the age of 19 was running my own electrical business Um, and I had that business till I was 35 and um, that gave me a really good grounding on property and on renovating and actually how that works and I did a lot of investing um, during those years, investing and renovating and selling and again typical for um, you know the, the migrants of that era. Uh, my parents were buying property, running their business, saving their money, buying property throughout that time, and hence my progression into that. And uh, I actually bought my first property at the age of eighteen, whilst I was still an apprentice electrician. Um, and that's very much influenced by uh, by my parents and, and watching what they did. After leaving the electrical business, Charles Lumbus became involved with investing in property through a program. Everything developed organically from there as he met his business partner and set up his company, Plan Assist. Got out of the electrical business in 2003, um, yeah, after having it, as I said, 16 or 17 years and then actually had a year off um, and was doing a little bit of property investing uh, on my own at the time. And I actually got involved in a program that was geared towards investors and showing people how to invest. And then by 2004, 2005, I was actually helping run and facilitate that program of teaching um, investors. And it was just a natural progression for me. I actually met my current business partner at one of those programs um, and he had a finance background and we started doing some property transactions together and then it was from there we actually put his finance business and what I was doing together and set up Plan Assist in 2005 and it just sort of grew from there I suppose. We we kept getting more and more call for what we were doing and we started by purely doing finance and a little bit of project management and that led into then people asking us to acquire the properties for them. Um, so we started doing the acquisition and then about five years ago um, we found that we were struggling with trying to keep the building side of things flowing consistently 
So we actually added a building company um, to ours as well about five years ago. So it's all sort of grown uh, naturally uh, and, and sort of as the demand has, has required it as well. It was also probably a little bit of, um, uh, I suppose, meeting a frustration and a little bit some, sometimes with our clients' frustration in, say, not being able to source properties and sometimes it was our own frustration in not being able to source uh, you know, consultants or builders or you know things to, that we needed, um, and then we were, as we we're meeting our own frustration, we were solving a frustration for our clients too. Having saved for some years while he was an apprentice electrician, he decided to buy his first investment property in the heart of Sydney. This property was eventually sold, and profits were used to purchase more properties. The first one, as I mentioned, I was. Uh, an apprentice that was 1984, um, so I would have been the third year apprentice um, at the time and it just, uh, I'd literally been saving for three years um, and it just sort of felt like it was the, the natural next step and certainly Dad was encouraging me, um, Dad was a huge influence on you know my property investing journey um, and he was certainly encouraging me to get out there and buy something. Um, and I think at the time I had a, a grand total savings of about $20,000. Um, so I went out to see what I could do with that money, which $20,000 was a lot of money in 1984. I was going to say, um, even today, $20,000 <laughs> is still a lot of money. So, um, <laughs> However, I'm not sure $20,000 would buy you a lot in the west of Sydney today. Um, but I went out and started looking and what I found was a property in Auburn, um, so pretty much the heart of Sydney or the geographical heart of Sydney um, as it is today and I, I bought a, a fairly typical three-bedroom single-fronted um, home in Auburn on a you know, standard block for the area which was quite small, probably sort of 400 or 450 square metres um, at the time and purchased that for... and used my $20,000 to make up a 20% deposit plus some stamp duties plus some legal fees Um, and then I think my $20,000 was all spent Um, and that property I actually kept for quite some time, just had it rented out for the whole time um, and really did some renovations. Initially certainly was doing those um, renovations myself uh, and myself and Helen. Uh, Helen is my wife and I met Helen in 19, ooh, 1987. Um, so I'd owned that property already. However, as tenants were moving out, um, we would go in there and give it a coat of paint or you know, when it was time for a new kitchen, we'd organise a new kitchen, um, buying flat pack kitchens or buying... Uh, kitchens that were out of kitchen showrooms that were no longer needed and, and doing the renovations ourselves. Um, and we kept that property until uh, 1995 or 96. I think we sold it in 96 um, for $142,000 um, and went on to buy other properties with those funds. Uh, but it was, I think, initially at a $59,000 purchase, had a rental of $80 a week. Um so it was quite modest uh, at the time, but it certainly certainly served us well. 
Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into Charlumbus' story on how he grew his property portfolio. We've actually um, sold quite a few down just during the last few years because we felt the timing was right. Um, and we've put um, currently a lot of our funds are now shifted into commercial property. One of his worst investing moments? Everything complied. The land size was right. The zoning was right when we purchased this property. And then by the time we submitted our DA with council, they had actually changed their minimum lot size. And that's next. I'm Taran Shah and you're listening to Property Investory. Charles Lumbus has continued to add to his property portfolio over the years with around 12 in total through commercial investments. We've actually um, sold quite a few down just during the last few years because we felt the timing was right um, and we've put um, currently a lot of our funds are now shifted into commercial property. Um, so we're, we're probably more focused on commercial and on our um, transactions that we're doing. We're doing some property options, um, which we may talk about a bit later, and we have done quite a few of those and we do continue to do those. Um, But yeah, we've probably got, I think at the moment, on the commercial side of things, there would be probably 12 to 14, sort of that sort of stage. We've got a couple of offers in there on one or two at the moment um, that we're selling as well. Um, So we're at around that sort of level. we're actually just working on a couple too with some rezonings, um, working with council on some rezonings um, and, and packaging those for uh, development and redevelopment. He discusses the reason behind selling his residential properties and focusing on commercial property, saying that it came down to greater opportunities. We were finding with the residential, the returns were so much lower um, and our opportunities, we actually had a few that we had some good opportunities for on some rezonings and getting some DAs and we did that and sold them um, but we just found the opportunities were better in the commercial sphere um, so we moved across into the commercial. We're just, again, as I mentioned, just manufacturing that equity. Uh, we were just finding some better opportunities in the commercial sphere so that's where we've shifted um, at the current time. These opportunities include improved rental returns and the freedom to make changes to the properties. The rental return is is far greater um, and we're finding that because of the development upside of what we're doing, um, then our ongoing equity and and manufactured equity is also a lot greater. Um, And because of the level of, you know, we're talking, you know, commercial properties probably to the value of, 20 odd million dollars depending on you know valuations and the like um, you know we can we can make a difference to those quite substantially pretty easily uh, we can increase increase zonings or increase floor space ratios or increase rents um, in our commercial leases for instance we've always got annual locked in rental increases you know that, that just go on every year um, and that just is increasing our, our bottom line on an ongoing basis without needing to worry about you don't get the phone calls from your commercial tenants asking for you know, tap washers and asking for you know, 
you know, block toilets or asking for blown globes and that sort of stuff. You just don't get it. They just deal with it themselves. Yeah, and that that's the beauty of commercial is that everything's all managed by them. They don't even have, we don't have to worry about, you know, those little minor issues. It's just collecting the, the rent. Yeah, so we've gone a lot into the commercial and into some uh, cash investments as well at the moment that we're, uh, I just want to see exactly what this market is going to do with where we're sitting with interest rates and where we're sitting with the marketplace. We are seeing some opportunities coming back in the resi market, um, but I feel I'm probably still 12 months before I'll be comfortable to get back into some of the resi stuff. Uh, I think we've just seen things started to um, level off a little bit at the moment. And again, I'm probably a bit more opportunistic, so I'm just looking for a couple of more opportunities that we'll um, jump into there. Um, yeah, but it's it's and and I suppose some of the resi that we do, you know, with what they are, I, I still consider them their commercial transactions, even though we may be holding residential property. Um, so we may amalgamate two or three neighbouring properties and you know do DAs for townhouses or um, blocks of apartments, um, and they're what I consider very much. Um, you know, commercial transactions, even though they're, you know, on residential land. Charles Lumbus talks about one of his worst investing moments, which has taught him to be cautious with his investments. Essentially, I'm actually very, very grateful for my time in, in the industry and that starts from, as I mentioned, when I was doing my apprenticeship because it taught me a lot about the property market um, and then my investments. Again, we've been, for whatever reason, you know, I consider it very lucky to have generated what we have done um, out of out of the property sector. So, but one thing that I'm really clear on, and one thing that I always share with people, particularly, you know, if I'm presenting on stage, is that I'll tell people that we um, there is always risks, uh, and you know, you only need. I only ever invest what you're prepared to risk. Um, it's just you do need to be very, very careful. So some of our transactions, if I were to share some of those that went uh, not necessarily the way we wanted them to, um, we actually worked on a site that was in northwest Sydney uh, in Kenthurst, um, so in the hills area of Sydney, hills district of Sydney, um, where we were looking to do a subdivision and we were working with council on doing that and everything complied, the land size was right, the zoning was right when we purchased this property and then by the time we submitted our DA with council, they had actually changed their minimum lot size um, and it was it was a real issue for us. So um, we were suddenly holding a block of land that we'd purchased, or it was a block of land with a house on it, that we'd purchased with the intention of subdividing and on selling. And then we were told by council that that block did no longer comply for a subdivision. Um, so it was it was a major issue for us. They generally will give notice, but it depends on where they're at in their planning process. So unfortunately with this one, their planning process was quite a way down the track and they gazetted it after we'd bought it. Um, however, we hadn't lodged our DA yet. So had our DA have been in, our application, development application, had, had it been lodged with council, 
it may have been a different outcome for us. Overcoming that, he was forced to sell and learn the important lesson of always conducting due diligence and considering all the possible outcomes beforehand. We ended up doing uh, some work to the existing home um, and ended up, there was a there was certainly a possibility for a second dwelling on the house, um, which we did, and what that did was recoup some of the funds. However, we couldn't subdivide, so those two dwellings had to sell, had to stay on one title. Um, and yeah, it probably in the end, I think, was in the vicinity of we still lost about $115,000 uh, overall on that project. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, at the time, it hurt. <laughs> it was, it was a lot of money. Uh, it still is a lot of money. Uh, we're now talking that would have been early 2000s, so 2002, 2003. Um, so we probably weren't helped in the Sydney market um, by the fact that 2003 was the top of the market. Um, so we had to get out because we could see the market was going the wrong way. And the lesson from that for us was always about understanding that we'd purchased this property to do a subdivision uh, and hence now why we're a lot more careful going into our transactions and we will just about always set up some form of a due diligence period or some form of an option to give us the time to be able to do our due diligence with council and get some answers from council and our consultants um, on what is possible. Uh, and to give you an example on that, there is one on the market today, a residential block, which uh, we believe is subdivisible. It's We certainly haven't purchased it and haven't even put an offer in, but it's currently with our town planner uh, to make sure that we can do what we want to do before we submit any offers. Um, so we just, yeah, you've got to be very, very careful. Uh, a lot of people just feel that, oh, it's a, you know, it's a big block or someone's done it next door or someone's done it around the corner or I've done it before. doesn't mean that you can do it today. The moment where everything fell into place was when he created a formula that he was able to apply to multiple transactions with great success. He considers these as win-win situations for both himself and the vendors looking to sell. We've done joint ventures with people, for instance, that have sites that are um, either subdivisible or you can do multi-dwelling housing on it and we actually go in and we'll work with an owner to unlock that potential. And we've done several where, for instance, we've had a property where you can build two dwellings on and we will go in and do that. Now, the aha moment there came in where we were looking for all these. We were looking for a property, looking to do subdivisions and we could never get the feasibility to work or rarely get the feasibility to work. Then all of a sudden we went in and started talking to the owners and in this particular instance what happened was I went into an open home and the agent had to leave and literally we got there and the owner had just arrived home, the agent was just leaving, however I knew the agent and they said, is it okay, You know, we, we've got to go and I said, yeah, I'll just have a look around the outside and as I was just finishing up, the owner turned up back home and then I started talking to the owner and so I asked her what she wanted to do 
you know, when she left, when she moved out, and she said, oh, look, really, I want to stay in the area. However, I'm just looking for a smaller home. And the aha moment was, well, if she wants to stay in the area and she's looking for a smaller home and I feel I can build two on this block, why doesn't she keep one of these? And so we worked with her and actually built two. She kept one and we kept one. However, what we did there, we actually created a recipe of these and said, well, if this works and people like it, why don't we do more of them? And we've gone on to do uh, 10 or 12 of these now with owners and one of them we actually built four homes um, and did a profit split. And these work really well. And what I like about them is that they're repeatable so I can have a formula that I work to, we can tick the boxes, we know what land size we need, we know what the sales are going to be, we can control our construction cost uh, and we minimise our risk. Really important to minimise the risk and learning from that previous experience that I mentioned to you, in these examples, I don't ever buy the land. In fact, I'm never the owner of the, of the property. I just build the dwellings, owner keeps one, we sell one and we take our profit. Inspired by this story, we'll continue the conversation in a future episode on property investory where we'll discuss how to apply the strategy. So we actually got an increased valuation before we even purchased the property. So from our point of view, it de-risks the transaction. It it means that we're able to pay uh, the owner in a lot of cases a little bit more because we're not having to pay holding costs for the 12 months. What success habits he has taken on his property journey? Uh, I mentioned earlier about blocking, uh, in the previous podcast, blocking time out for myself and some quiet time. Uh, And my business partner often talks about uh, the times where the success is created the most is actually when I go on holidays. Uh, Because what happens is you get that time and you come back with a clear head And that's next time on a future episode of Property Investory.